ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين اياك نعبد واياك نستعين واشهد ان لا اله الا الله لا تدركه الابصار وهو يدرك الابصار ليس كمثله شيء وهو السميع البصير وهو القاهر فوق عباده اذا قضى امرا فانما يقول له كن فيكون واشهد ان سيدنا وحبيبنا وعزيزنا محمدا صلى الله عليه واله وسلم عبده ورسوله ما كان محمد ابا احد من رجالكم محمد رسول الله والذين معه اشداء على الكفار رحماء بينهم من يطع الله ورسوله واولي الامر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله واولي الامر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له ومن يتوكل على الله فان الله على كل شيء قدير اما بعد dear committed muslims brothers and sisters with allah's help and with his guiding information <coughs> we will continue to look at ourselves in our past and in our present <coughs> trying to diagnose our ailments and treat our failures in such a way that we can gain enough immunity for all of this not to happen again all of this division all of these rumors and propaganda all of the misinformation and all of the lies that have found common currency among many of the muslims in the world today <coughs> We've quoted many times Allah's ayat and his, his hadiths and it wouldn't harm to quote an ayah and a hadith once again to remind ourselves that our priority is to be together to stand together and to work together regardless of our different points of view Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in an, in an ayah in surah Ali Imran وَلَكْ تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ تَفَرَّقُوا مِنْ بَعْدِ وَاخْتَلَفُوا مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَهُمُ الْبَيِّنَاتِ Don't be like those who were divided and took issue with each other in a quarrelsome way after they had received clear evidence from Allah and this is the way we find ourselves today we have clear evidence from Allah yet we don't have enough courage to share a prayer with another Muslim from another madhab or to go to a program of another Muslim with a different idea than the idea that I have or that we have this is 
the fact of the matter. The Prophet of Allah, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and his, says, مَثَلُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ فِي تَوَادِّهِمْ وَتَرَاحُمِهِمْ وَتَعَاطُفِهِمْ كَمَثَلِ الْجَسَدِ الْوَاحِدِ إِذَا اشْتَكَى مِنْهُ عُضُوا تَدَاعَ لَهُ سَائِرُ الْجَسَدِ بِالْحُمَّ وَالسَّهَرِ The equivalence of Muslims towards each other, committed Muslims, in as far as feeling for each other, in as far as caring for each other, in as far as interrelating with each other, is just like a human body. If something goes wrong with one part of the human body, the rest of the body tries to act in a supportive role. But if we look at the condition of Muslims today, we see almost the opposite of this meaning. If some Muslims are going down, other Muslims want to make the hole deeper for them. It's a fact of life. And we'd be fooling ourselves if we don't take a measured, a reasonable, and an objective look at reality. <coughs> now, as we've done in previous khutbas and will continue to do, bi'ithnillah, we'll take a look at some issues in our history before we come to our current conditions in today's world. There was something there were a group of people in our history known as al-Mu'tazila. this was basically an intellectual class of Muslims who dealt with the philosophical and the elaborate ideas and ideologies of their time. This was in the third basically most of it was in the third Hijri century. And then we had another group of people who preceded them by a generation or two called Al-Murji'ah. Now, these words are not in vogue nowadays. It's not one of these words that you hear often. Of course, if you're a student of history, if you're a researcher in this area, you're very familiar with these. But for an average Muslim, now, who are these? What are you talking about? When you say Al-Mu'tazila, who are those? Or when you say Al-Murji'ah, you say, who are those? It's not like today in today's world, if you say a Sunni, oh, everyone is attention. If you say a Shi'i, then everyone is aware of what you're talking about. Simply because the words Sunni and Shi'i, they are used for political purposes when you hear about it in the mainstream media. But the word Mu'tazili and Murji'i, well, I don't know, I think these are, no, there's a vague idea about them if there's an idea at all. The Murji'a are a group of people, maybe at that time, taking into consideration what the total population of the Muslims were, maybe they were about 10 or 15 or maybe even 20%, some may say, or more of the Muslims. And they basically say, لَا يَضُرُّ مَعَ الْإِيمَانِ مَعْصِيَةِ or لَا يَضُرُّ مَعَ الْإِيمَانِ ذَمْ they say it in both ways which means as long as you're a committed Muslim whatever ma'siya you commit it's not going to do you any harm because your commitment to Allah overrides whatever sin or whatever violation of Allah that you and His Prophet that you do these are murji'a. Now, in today, the, both the Mu'tazilis and the Murji'is, both of them are, they're not called this in today's world. But this same human feature is present in Muslim societies. There are some Muslims who want to think their way through, think their way relying upon Allah and His Prophet, 
through the issues of our time. And there are others who basically think because they are Muslims, ah, these, you know, minor issues of maybe juvenile behavior, it's not going to harm me at all because I'm committed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't get me bogged down in all of this. So the words have disappeared, but the human character and attitude is still there. So what did we have in our past? What did we have? We had one of these arguments that erupted into a potentially divisive feature of society. And that is, are human beings going to see Allah Subhana, are they going to see him with their eyes or not? Some Muslims said yes, and some Muslims said no. Whatever the case is, why should this be a divisive issue? Because those who are saying yes are saying it because their hearts and their minds believe that, meaning they feel certain about it. And those who say no, it's the same thing with them. So let's not get worked up about this to the extent that we begin dividing ourselves. The same issue with what I do. I pick up a piece of paper. Did I do that by myself? Or was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala involved in me doing that? These could be very elaborate and sophisticated philosophical issues. And the Muslims, in we, in our history, said both of these things. So why should we become enemies of each other if, if someone says, Allah actually created my own action, or I did this on my own. And I'm responsible for it. We have, brothers and sisters, we have to make room for ourselves to give the right for the Muslim mind and heart working together to take their range of conviction without bad feelings and without divisions. The same thing with the... And this, this became a very serious divisive issue because it extended into what's called theology and that is was the Quran created or was it not created and I will just mention very briefly that this issue became almost similar to the issue of whether Allah created part of himself or not. It's almost like arguing whether Jesus is the son of God or not. That's how serious this issue was. But alhamdulillah, the Muslims kept more or less. Unfortunately, the side that was explaining itself in a more rational way that side in our history lost. And we are still suffering from that loss until our day nowadays. If we take a look at the, the some of the individuals who registered the hadiths for us, Al-Bukhari for example, and Muslim and others, they relied in writing down their hadiths on a great many numbers of Mu'tazilis. This little piece of information is absent from our body of knowledge. Except maybe for some scholars. But generally speaking, the Muslim public, they don't know this. You tell some Muslim, Al-Bukhari and Muslim and other compilers of the hadith, they relied on, the, on many Mu'tazilis in authenticating their hadiths. Why is this little important piece of information absent from the Muslim public mind? 
you can, if, if someone out there is listening to this khutbah, and if you have your question marks about obtaining information along these lines and building up your body of knowledge, go to Fath al-Bari li sharh Sahih al-Bukhari and go to Al-Tadrib Sharh al-Taqrib al-Suyuti and Mirath al-I'tidal al-Dhahabi because I know out there I get feedback from some of these khutbas and some, sometimes people question where did you get this information from they think the information that's being presented in this khutbah on this day on Fridays every week somehow is drawn from non-mainstream books it's not make that very clear Imam <clears throat> Ahmad the faqih Ahmad ibn Hanbal he said quote لو تركنا الرواية عن المعتزلة لتركنا أكثر أهل البصرة If we were to abandon the riwayah of the Mu'tazilis, we would have been abandoning most of the population of al-Basra. Which means it's impossible to do. Al-Bukhari, the well-known compiler of the hadith, he relied upon a person by the name of Umar ibn Hattan, who was a Khariji. Some of the hadiths in al-Bukhari came through channels of Khawarij. Now why is that piece of information absent from the public mind? And the answer is that because the public mind is supposed to think about divisions, how to divide, instead of how to build and unite. And he, he and Muslim, another comp- major compiler of the hadiths, they relied upon a person called Abdul Hamid ibn Abdul Rahman al Humani. And he was from the Murji'ah. La yadurru ma'al imani ma'asiyah. As long as the Murji'ah say, as long as you are committed to Allah and His Prophet, you are a mu'min. Any disobedience is not really going to affect that iman. Meaning, your iman vetoes any discrepancy that you may have had in your life. So, if these affairs were so important to become what they have become, the the Prophet of Allah, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him, would have explained this to us from the beginning. But, these types of issues were not meant to gain the character that they eventually gained. And from the book of Al-Ghazali, it's called Al-Mustasfa, Al-Imam Ali was approached by some of the judges in southern Iraq, in Al-Basra, whether we should accept in the court of law, whether we should accept the testimony of the Khawarij. Remember the Khawarij later on were the murderers of Imam Ali, alayhi salam. So there he was asked, should we accept their testimony in a court of law? And his answer to that more or less was, as long as there's no violation of the integrity of the character of that Khariji, He's like every other Muslim. You accept his testimony in a court of law. You accept his testimony in a court of law. That's a far cry from what we see today. In a place like Saudi Arabia, they don't accept the testimony of a Shi'i in a court of law. And these muhaddithin, they relied in obtaining the or in validating the authenticity of their hadiths, they went to Khawarij, they went to Shi'is, they went to Murji'ah, they went to Mu'tazilis. They went to all of these and they didn't say, I'm not going to prejudge you because of who you are in, in, in the depths of your mind and in your heart. That wasn't the case. How, how come it became the case today? This is what baffles us there's a hadith 
from the Prophet of Allah, which was quoted in today's khutbah in the Haram in Mecca. And I thought it's quite appropriate to mention it. The Prophet of Allah, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and his, says, سَيَأْتِي عَلَى النَّاسِ سَنَوَاتٌ خَدَّعَاتٌ There will come a time when there are years of of extreme deception. يُصَدَّقُ فِيهَا الْكَاذِبُ A liar is going to be believed in those years. وَيُكَذَّبُ فِيهَا الصَّادِقِ And a truthful person is not going to be believed in those years. وَيُخَوَّنُ فِيهَا الْأَمِينَ A trustworthy person is going to be considered a betrayer. وَيُؤْتَمَنُ فِيهَا الْخَائِنَ And a betrayer is going to become a trustworthy person. وَيَمْطِقُ فِيهَا And the word is going to be of belonging to الرُّوَيْبِضَ And those who were listening to the Prophet asked, وَمَا الرُّوَيْبِضَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ What is this رُوَيْبِضَ? It's a word that they're not familiar with. What do you mean by this word? And he said, التَّافِهُ يَتَكَلَّمُ فِي أَمْرِ An insignificant person who now has the word when it comes to the public interest. Exactly what we see in today's world. Now, to try to end this first khutbah, let me mention the following. If you were to listen to someone say the following to you, you would say the following. I'll say it in Arabic, and then I'll say it in English. He says, أكره الحق I hate الحق وأحب الفتنة I love fitna. And then he says, عندي ما ليس عند الله I have what Allah does not have. And then he says, وَأَفْعَلُوا مَا لَا يَفْعَلُهُ اللَّهِ And I do what Allah does not do. وَأُصَلِّي بِغَيْرِ وُضُوءِ And I pray without wudu. You've listened to this. Plain Arabic, plain English. No sophisticated word here. I think you understood every word here. If you heard someone say something like that, what would you say? If you're in the best of character, you'd have a very serious question mark about that person. But if you are the Muslim that is molded by Allah and His Prophet, you'd seek some answers from the person. Okay, what do you mean? Instead of immediately, in today's attitude, because of the Saudi indoctrination and Saudi wealth, If someone says something like that, they'd immediately say, you're a kafir. It's exactly what they would do. They'd go at him, pointing their finger, you're a kafir, which means you have to make tawbah. If you don't make tawbah, we're going to execute you, get rid of you, and that's the end of it. So what did this person say when he said, أَكْرَهُ الْحَقِّ I hate الْحَقِّ Ask, what do you mean by that? He says, الْمَوْتُ حَقِّ Death is haq. That's talqeen. When someone passes away, part of the talqeen is وَالْمَوْتُ حَقِّ الْجَنَّةُ حَقِّ وَالْحِسَابُ etc. الْمَوْتُ حَقِّ And this person doesn't want to die. So if a person doesn't like dying, you're going to say he's a kafir? You can't do that. And then he says, وَأُحِبُّ الْفِتْنَةِ I love fitna. 
fitna is not something that an average person's average person loves so ask this person what do you mean you love it fitna the ayah says innama awladukum wa amwalukum fitna amwalukum wa awladukum fitna your children and your wealth is a fitna and this person is being frank with himself he loves his children and he loves his possessions are we going to say someone like that is a kafir he says i have what allah does not have uh, as someone listening to this says what's wrong either this person is not in control of his mind or he's blaspheming he's profaning the integrity of allah jalla wa'ala so ask him before you rush to judgment ask the person what do you mean he says i have children allah doesn't have children lam yalid wa lam yulad so what are you going to say if the person says something like that we're going to quickly draw conclusions like today's attitude is among many many muslims and then he says i do what allah doesn't do once again the traditional mind is going to accuse that person of kufr or the very least violating the very basics of islam and then he says i sleep allah does not sleep so i'm doing something allah doesn't do allah says he's not overcome by slumber nor sleep and i sleep so i'm doing something allah doesn't do and then finally says the literal mind that rushes to the accusation and the defamation of kufr says astaghfirullah this person obviously is violating the common knowledge of muslims ask the person what do you mean by that he says i evoke the salah upon a nabi i say sallallahu ala rasulillah wa ala ali rasulillah or sallallahu ala muhammad etc the different formulas of salat ala nabi and that doesn't require wudu but you see the dilemma that we are living in we are possessed by the traditional and the accusatory mind and we have to come out of that اقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم ادعوه سبحانه وانتم على يقين بالاجابه وتوبوا الى الله غافر الذنب وقابل التوب شديد العقاب واليه المصير الحمد لله الذي هدى وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا المصطفى وعلى اله وصحبه اولي النهى والتقى dear muslims on this day of taqwa at this time of taqwa the sensitivity in ourselves regarding Allah's power for justice on this day as we try to emerge the first khutbah was another attempt at emerging from leaving behind us the tons of traditions and the loads of customs that have worked their way into our and become actually 
our Islamic character. Not supposed to be, but that's the fact of the matter. To take a breath of fresh air and try to look at the world with the valuable information provided to us by Allah and the application of that information provided to us by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam we take a look Allah has given us a mind to think with He has given us a heart that throbs for Him and we see that in the land of Allah's Prophet, in the land of Islam, in the land of the Anbiya and Al-Mursaleen, the rulers in Saudi Arabia this week, they had a reception. Of course, they invited these people. There were evangelicals from the United States that went to Saudi Arabia. Not any Christian, evangelical Christians, those who believe in the Zionist colonization of the Holy Land. They went there. Among them was Joel Rosenberg and ex Congresswoman Michelle Bachman. And they met with Adil Jubair. Khalid ibn Salman, that was the ambassador who left here because of the Khashoggi affair and hasn't returned to his embassy in Washington, D.C. And Muhammad al-Isa, the chairman or the president, I don't know exactly his title, but he's the head honcho of the Muslim World League. Meeting evangelical Christians who believe in Zionism, what are they trying to say? What are they trying to do? And among them was Mike Evans, who is the founder of Jerusalem Prayer Team, who describes himself, quote, a devout Christian, Amer- American Christian Zionist leader. And earlier, months ago, this regime in the Arabian Peninsula opened its airspace for the Zionists. And some of the, this evangelical team that went to Arabia in this past week, they are the faith advisors of the occupant of the White House. Neoconservative, Zionist, Israel first, The chief executive in the White House says he wants to make America first. Make America great again. What he is doing in practice is making Israel first. And trying to make the historical Israel a contemporary Israel where he doesn't know anything about history and he doesn't know anything about issues that are contemporary. And the information that he is getting, if he has his head screwed on right, is coming from the wrong sources. And this same evangelical, Zionist, Christian team that went to Saudi Arabia, before that it went and met with Muhammad ibn Zayed in the United Arab Emirates, who is the basically the mentor of Muhammad ibn Sulaiman, ibn Zayed, the boss, the political boss of Muhammad of ibn Salman. We're not against Christians going to the land of Islam. Absolutely not. But why can't they be the right type of Christians? Why do they have to invite there the wrong type of Christians? I don't want anyone coming to tell me that all Christians are the same. They are not. Their history testifies to that and their current outlook on world affairs testifies to that. One of the news items that just happened to come along as this evangelical Zionist 
delegation was in Arabia was that the Pope, the Catholic Pope, told Michael Moore, the movie producer that you're probably familiar with, he told them that capitalism is a sin. Now, wouldn't it have been right for those who are ruling in Arabia to invite the Pope who expressed a statement like that instead of inviting Zionist, evangelical Christians to the land of Mecca and al Medina? And then we go to the miscellaneous news items from that kingdom that is on its way down. President Trump said, in effect, that when he was asked about this Khashoggi affair, that the Saudis did not fool him. They probably fooled their own selves. And I'm sure the Saudis were listening to this statement and they probably didn't feel comfortable what he says with what he said now you might not know this you may know it I don't know but in the past couple of weeks Saudi Arabia has been opening up its market to the Turkish economy why would Saudi Arabia be doing something like that in the circumstances that we are in is it because they want to escape the damaging and damning information that the Turks have on their crime in their own consulate in Istanbul? There's been, there's a, uh, an insider who leaks news about the royal family and one of the leaks that came out today is that there's been a very ferocious antagonistic argument within the royal family against Ibn Salman. They told him, his cousins, most of them are his cousins, they told him that you can have any position you want except the position of being the crown prince. In other words, we don't want you to be the future king in this country. Do any, go anywhere, do anything you want, but just don't be the future king of this country. He responded to them, I'm going to be the future king regardless of what you say and what you want. So alhamdulillah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has shown us and is showing the world the dirty laundry of this Saudi corrupt regime. India contracted Russia to buy the S-400 anti-missile and anti-aircraft system. And how did they pay for that? They didn't pay for it using the dollar. They paid for that with using the Russian currency. It's one way of waving bye-bye to the US dollar on international markets if it's going to be followed by other steps reacting to the ill-founded policies that are generated by the Israeli political cabal in Washington DC working its way through Washington politics and Washington diplomacy. There is a son of Abdul Aziz. Remember the word Abdul Aziz, the father of the current kings there, the father of Salman, the father of Fahd, the father of Abdullah. His second to youngest son, there's only one other son, young, son younger than him. This son is son number 31. 
He was living in exile in London. He got assurances from the European, from European governments and the U.S., as some news reports have it, that you go back and we will guarantee your safety in Saudi Arabia. And this has caused shivers to those right now who are running their administration. What are you doing here? You're supposed to be in exile. Who gave you the right to come here? Look, the land of Islam, the land of Iman, the land of Al-Wahi, the land of the Prophet, the land of the Qur'an. Who gives permission to come and go and who gives security and safety and denies security and safety? Is this the taqwa of Allah that we are supposed to have especially on this day? And besides, who is factoring in taqwa to have enough courage to speak about these issues? With a Quranic and a prophetic grounding where are they? And wouldn't you know it, a Halloween party broke out in a Riyadh. Halloween was a few days ago, a couple of days, whatever, two or three days ago. And they had a Halloween party in a Riyadh with all the music that goes with this was after midnight. And they had Halloween costumes on. And the people in that district had to call the police to come and arrest these hooligans. There's a, uh, a piece of art that costs $400 million that has arrived in Arabia and was placed in the Ritz-Carrollton. Remember, months ago, that was the prison for the princes of Arabia who rubbed Ibn Salman the wrong way. Alhamdulillah, some government in the world has enough courage. The Germans told the Saudis, we're not going to honor this military contract we have with you. So they stopped shipping weapons to the killer regime in Riyadh. And then MBS comes and he says that Khashoggi was a dangerous Islamist. You know, danger, he wasn't dangerous and he wasn't Islamist. But to justify, to get the green light and the okay and the approval for the future from the Israelis and the Americans, he makes a public statement like that. To further this a little, there has been in the making an alliance that strings together the Gulf countries, the Persian Arabian Gulf countries, along with Jordan and Egypt and Israel. What's this alliance? And there are some mouthpieces that are saying this is a Sunni or an Arab alliance or NATO. What's all this about? Ask yourself, what is all of this about? They're putting together this alliance. And then Netanyahu, the prime criminal in the colonial entity in the Holy Land, contacts President Trump and tells him he has to take care of Ibn Salman. He has to look, basically, I'm rephrasing, obviously, but he has to look out for him. Incriminating him is not going to serve American national interest, and it's not going to serve Israeli national interest. There you have it. So we ask those who still agree with the Saudi rulers, how far are you going to go? before you wash your hands of these criminals in every sense of the word. 
The normalization of relations is going on day after day, week after week, and month after month. An Israeli sports team goes to the United Arab Emirates and one of the Israeli ministers goes into the masjid of Zayed that's the father of the current ruler who passed away years ago he has a grand masjid there and she walks in it wearing the traditional Muslim garb and she's crying an Israeli war criminal is crying in a masjid why is she crying? she's crying that She's crying that they made a breakthrough. Now they can go to these lands with security, with safety. What are they doing? Is this the meaning of being a Sunni? Does it mean that you have to capitulate to Zionism and imperialism? Is that the definition of it? As you are making very clear for anyone who's thinking... And then Netanyahu, the prime minister criminal, visits Oman. What are you doing there in Oman? And you who are ruling in Oman, what are you doing receiving a war criminal like that when these war criminals are killing Palestinians? Dislocating, and I'm not talking about one or two Palestinian, or 100 or 200 or 1,000 or 2,000 or 1 million or 2 million. The number of Palestinians, 12.8 million people in the world. Among them, there's about 2.8 million who are under direct Israeli colonization. The rest of the Palestinians, they have no life to use the street word. And you rulers there, in the Arabian Peninsula and Gulf. What are you doing? Rubbing shoulders with war criminals. And for the first time, this Israeli colony, it's not going to last. It will not last. Even those of the Jewish faith who are balanced and can see things without prejudice and fanaticism, they will tell you, how are we going to survive in an ocean of hostility? There has to be an end to this hostility. And we agree, there has to be an end to it. But how can we end it when we have war criminals who can only think about bombing and killing and assassinating, as has been their history since their colonization of the Holy Land in 1947, 48. So... This Israeli colony appoints an Israeli ambassador, an Israeli woman ambassador in Egypt. How far is the humiliation of the Egyptian people, how far is that going to go? And just in, this, in the stretch of this yesterday and today, some Egyptians who are probably the product of Saudi Wahhabi indoctrination, they open fire on a bus that has Christians in it. Just yesterday or today. The past 24 hours. What is this? But this is what happens when we the Muslims are ruled, influenced, indoctrinated, educated by our own internal and external enemies. And now we have in the news that the newly elected president of Brazil is going to move their embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem just like Trump did this is this person wants to do the same thing in this past week the Saudi misrulers executed an Indonesian maid and the Indonesian government is so upset why didn't you contact us before this execution it's not time to contact the Saudis. It's time to slap them left and right and rid the holy land of this filth and this foul ruling class. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna tiba'ah wa arina al-baatila baatilan warzuqna ijtinaabah 
ولا تجعله ملتبسا علينا واجعلنا للمتقين إماما ربنا لا تؤاخذنا إن نسينا أو أخطأنا ربنا ولا تحمل علينا إصرا كما حملته على الذين من قبلنا ربنا ولا تحملنا ما لا طاقة لنا به واعف عنا واغفر لنا وارحمنا أنت مولانا فانصرنا على القوم الكافرين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على محمد وآل محمد كما صليت وسلمت وباركت على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله اللهم رب هذه الدعوة التامة والصلاة القائمة آت سعى 